0: All right, let's pray. Father in heaven, we pray now that your spirit will continue speaking to us now that we are at an enlightened place. Help us to hear this word and help it to strike in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Who is Zacchaeus to you? Who is the Zacchaeus in your life? You see, I think we've lost the essence of the Zacchaeus story. We've we've lost the essence of the story because the details of the story are just so adorable. I mean, who doesn't love a wee little man, right? And he climbs up in a tree. How cute is that? The story of Zacchaeus and its adorable details is such a perfect children's story that that's what we've made it into. And by so doing, we've lost a certain heart of it, a certain reality of it. We've lost the offense in this story how many of you had a cute little Zacchaeus book that you read to your kids we had one you remember how many of you had a cute little Zacchaeus book you read to your kids yeah you know you did we certainly did and here's how most of those children's books tend to go Zacchaeus is a tax collector and most people don't like him but we like him because he's short and cute (laughs) Zacchaeus wants to see Jesus but the crowd is tall Zacchaeus cannot see Zacchaeus sees a tree. I can see Jesus from there, he says. Look, Zacchaeus is climbing the tree. See how funny Zacchaeus is? Here comes Jesus. Jesus sees Zacchaeus. He thinks Zacchaeus is cute and funny, just like we do. Jesus is kind. We like Jesus. Jesus stops and looks at Zacchaeus and smiles. Zacchaeus, Jesus says, I want to stay at your house tonight. Zacchaeus is so excited that he promises to give money to poor people now everyone likes Zacchaeus just like we do Isn't that about how it goes yeah now don't get me wrong I'm not suggesting this isn't a wonderful little story to tell to kids in a cute manner and neither am I claiming there is this isn't good teaching for children but I am saying if all you know about Zacchaeus you got from the children's story you've missed the adult lesson and spoiler alert I'm not sure you're going to love the adult message especially when I start naming names who is Zacchaeus in your life today is the first Sabbath of our spring series our small group series it's called tasting and seeing sometimes life changes at the table we will for the next seven weeks counting today be considering stories from the Bible where food is a big part of the story. Stories that show so well that simple fact. Sometimes life changes at the table. And you know this, it's one thing for us to talk together, but relationships move to a whole different level when we sit down at the table and we eat together just a quick heads up there to all you Romeos listening this morning taking your Juliet to a show is a good start but dinner and a show way better and in fact if you can only afford one go with dinner unless you're a total jerk and it's best if you don't talk then go to the show but if you're a decent guy you're gonna get further with dinner than just the show this is a very important truth, and it's true in our homes as well. And in the spirit of full disclosure, this is an area where I sometimes struggle, particularly on the evenings when Alicia comes home late and I'm in charge of supper for Aaron and Ar- Ariel. Now, they don't starve, okay? They don't starve. But then I don't always get everybody to the table. That just seems so difficult sometimes. It's more like, here, here's your food, eat it. Alicia's a little better at doing that. Another thing, church is great, Sabbath schools are wonderful, but deep, meaningful relationships are far more likely to be formed at Sabbath dinner than they are in here. So before we get to the end of this series, I want you to hear a story from some of our members who understand this dynamic and have taken action along these lines. The spring series is also the small group series, and once again this year, we're encouraging you to get your groups together for the next six weeks of study, starting this week uh, that we're starting. And and if you want, you can say you're doing it for Lent, because I guess Ash Wednesday was this last week. So you can can have a small group for that period. And in the context of the theme of this series, I'm going to suggest to you that it would be a good idea for your group to have somebody who brings snacks, because you're going to be talking about food and, uh, you know, you might get a little antsy. So I'm going to say bring some snacks, and then if your group could have at least one meal together. You don't have to do it every week. Some groups do it every week. But if you could just have one meal together. We hear that and we think, oh, how in the world would I ever find time to do that? Well, you know what, if we're not sharing that kind of fellowship with each other as followers of Christ, I think we're missing something key to this whole experience. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Listen to this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. This sharing meal together was as important as Bible study and prayer. So I don't think I can really add much to that, except to maybe ask you, is that what your faith experience looks like? Doesn't that what's described there in Acts 2 sound like a rich experience and also a fun experience? Are you having a rich and fun experience as a believer? Would you like to? Sometimes life changes at the table. So the studies are available online at the church website. You can go there and find them. And Pastor Steve was careful to make sure we had uh, printed copies in the lobbies. You can just grab one of those. Get a group together. Get your group together. Find some people. Join and enjoy fellowship around God's Word. But back to Zacchaeus. We find his story in Luke chapter 19, verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. Now it's very interesting to me that this story takes place in Jericho, for there's a lot of history that automatically comes with the name Jericho. For instance, Jericho was the first point of resistance that the children of Israel encountered when they crossed over the Jordan into the land of Canaan. And the destruction of Jericho at the hands of Joshua was complete for the fullness of the city except for Rahab and her family were given over to God for full, for total destruction a fact that would later cost Achan his life because he went into the city he saw some things there and his greed caused him to covet them things from Jericho and he took them and hid them in his tent Now, so intense was Joshua's zeal in the destruction of the city that he spoke these words after it was destroyed. Joshua 6, verse 26. At that time, Joshua pronounced this solemn oath. Cursed before the Lord is the one who undertakes to rebuild this city, Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn son, he will lay its foundations. At the cost of his youngest, he will set up its gates. But there was a reason that Jericho was where it was. And despite Joshua's curse, greed that could not be resisted would eventually drive one to hazard the rebuilding of Jericho, an act that would cost him dearly. 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 34. In Ahab's time, Hiel of Bethel rebuilt Jericho. He laid its foundation at the cost of his firstborn son, Abiram, And he set up its gates at the cost of his youngest son, Segub, in accordance with the word of the Lord spoken by Joshua, son of Nun. There was a reason that there was treasure in Jericho that Achan coveted. And there was a reason why Hiel of Bethel risked rebuilding the city. And there was a reason that Zacchaeus lived and became very wealthy in Jericho. The reason? Trade. Jericho was a great place to get rich. i got a map here. I'll show you Jericho. That's the Jordan River coming down there in the middle. And that, that, the reason that area is gray is not because it's not fertile. It's because it's below sea level. That's what it's indicating. But that Jordan Valley there is a well-watered valley, very productive. And you can see just there off to the left, just below where they think Gilgal was, is Jericho. Now, the plain, the Jordan plain was very fertile, but it was very difficult to protect. Now, why was Jericho such a rich town? Well, you know what they say, right? Location, location, location. You see, Jericho sat... Not down in the plain where it was hard to defend, but up against the hills where you could more easily defend the city. But there was no way you could live up in those hills except for the fact that where Jericho sits, there's a large number of natural springs that come out of the ground there and continuously flow throughout the year. This becomes incredibly important because the summer months in Jericho are over 100 degrees on the average day, and it doesn't rain for nearly five months. So here was a defendable place near the riches of the Jordan Valley that had water. But not just that, Just a little ways over from Jericho was a winding, narrow passageway called the Wadi Kelt. I have a picture of what it looks like that wound up through a canyon and led all the way up to the city of Jerusalem and the cities of the hill country, and then by extension over the top and down to the cities along the shore of the Mediterranean Sea now this was a rough transit but it was about the only way you could get through and so rough is this road the jericho road that this is in fact the the place where jesus tells the story about the good samaritan coming down this road you can imagine if you were a trader and you were coming down the road and you were getting to the end of it you'd be eager to see this next picture this is the scene as it opens up out of that narrow canyon into the riches of the Jordan Valley. And the first place you would come to when you got out of the Wadi Kelt was the city of Jericho. Location, location, location. This is why Jericho was where it was. It was a great place for doing business. And to no one's surprise, it was also a great place for collecting taxes. Luke 19, verse 2. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus, he was a chief tax collector and was wealthy so Zacchaeus was collecting taxes in Jericho and apparently doing so quite profitably now I know no one really likes the IRS especially this time of year but whatever enmity we might have for that particular federal agency is nothing compared to the hostility directed towards tax collectors in Jesus day why well number one they were dishonest they had a habit of taking more from you than they had to number two even though they were of your people they were raising money for Rome the foreign pagan oppressive power that was dominating you for another thing frequently their lifestyle was anything but moral or modest and if you were to have lived in Jericho in those days the chief tax collector, Zacchaeus, likely everyone in town would have voted him least likely to ever be the main character of a cute children's book. Nobody saw that coming. Who is Zacchaeus for you? Who is Zacchaeus in your life? You see, in the children's story version of Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus is a sympathetic character that's easy for us to root for. Our hearts warm when the hero Jesus reaches out to him. We easily associate ourselves with Zacchaeus, and it's very easy for us to feel great hostility towards those meanies, the Pharisees, and all the rest of those heartless people who complain when Jesus stops and looks up in the tree, and he said, Zacchaeus, you calm down. For I'm going to your house today. It's just adorable, isn't it? But I can, at this moment, make a single connection with Zacchaeus that will, for many of you here today, forever change this story of Zacchaeus from a story you love to a story that will bother you for the rest of your life. And in a moment change you from being a sympathetic onlooker within the story to a ticked-off demonstrator chanting He has gone to be the guest of sinners. So, are you ready? Ready for the connection? Zacchaeus isn't a Syrian refugee, Zacchaeus is Donald Trump. And yes, I just went there. Listen to the story. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. You can see it, can't you? Now, I don't presume to know anything about the spiritual life of President Trump. That's not the basis of my comparison. I have no idea whether or not Mr. Trump would have climbed a tree to see Jesus, but that's not the point. The point is, Zacchaeus was not a helpless refugee. He was a man of power and a man of wealth and one who had a lot of people who didn't love him for very good reasons. So I can only just imagine the chuckles we would have had sharing on Facebook all the political cartoons that we would draw and the memes generated to mock Zacchaeus' treetop encounter with the Lord. You can imagine it, right? We'd have made a lot of fun of that. And since we're on the subject of mockery, perhaps you would indulge me a quick aside. I have seen and heard President Trump being mocked multiple times for saying two Corinthians instead of second Corinthians. And I suppose it's true enough that it is a mistake that shows he's not particularly familiar with standard American Christian vernacular when he quotes Scripture. But do we really want to mock someone who is trying to quote Scripture just because they aren't very good at it? I mean, as long as they're not quoting it out of context, are we really that worried about it? Or is it just a little mean-spirited? And as a further point, those who are making the biggest deal about this seem themselves to be oblivious to the fact that in certain English-speaking parts of the world, and particularly in scholarly literature, what they say is 1 and 2 Corinthians. I'm listening to a theological book right now by the Anglican author N.T. Wright and they say 1 and 2 Corinthians and Thessalonians. It's not that weird. So let me give this warning. We must be careful when we mock to truly know what we mock lest the ones we mock turn out to be ourselves. Or maybe, maybe it's not best for Christians to be mockers in the first place. That applies to both sides of the aisle. You know who you are. And just so you don't think I'm being partisan, I used to say the same thing during the days of President Obama to some in this congregation who thought it was amusing to mock I'm not saying we have to agree. And I'm not saying folks are wrong to push for a different direction in policies. But I am saying how we go about expressing ourselves matters. And some ways of doing things that are perfectly acceptable in the world just aren't good enough for God's people. So don't get caught. But enough meddling. Back to Zacchaeus. Verse 5. When Jesus reached the spot, He looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And all the people said, don't say amen, because that's not what all the people said and all the people said yeah right I mean really put yourself in the story you see the problem here it's unbelievable this guy has fraudulently stolen from the people for decades and suddenly he's gonna turn his life around yeah right he's gone to eat with a sinner. don't miss the point Stop imagining yourself as Zacchaeus and start realizing he's the one in your life who has cheated you and prospered from cheating you for years. And this is where the children's books have gotten us a long way from the hardest lesson of the story. We like to read this story as a story about receiving grace. And that works very well for the children's book. But I want to suggest to you that the you too can be saved narrative may not be the primary lesson Luke is trying to teach here. But before we get to that hardest point, let's give the traditional view a moment. Verse 8, but Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. This is the right way to confess and truly repent. He says, I'm going to do something generous, I'm going to acknowledge what I've done wrong, and I'm going to commit myself to restitution. Now, That's why everybody said, yeah, right, that's what you're going to do. But if he really does it, that is repentance done right. And if Zacchaeus will, in fact, make good on this pledge, he stands ultimately to become the biblical equivalent of Ebenezer Scrooge, the man who was mean. Everybody hated him. He was a cheater. But he has this conversion moment, and he turns into this glorious person after that. And so we cannot pass this point without laying out the challenge. Are you being honest in your business dealings? Are you fleecing your customers? Are you cheating on your taxes? Are you taking unfair advantage in a market just because you have leverage in that market? I mean, it's just business, right? Well, you tell me. Is that excuse going to work when Jesus comes walking under your tree? the good news the good news is that Jesus can save a rich man the bad news it doesn't happen very often and it is difficult particularly for the rich man so I ask you does anyone here need to not just confess but also repent Of what you're doing in business but now as hard as what has just been said might be for the ones to whom it applies here comes the part that's hard for the rest of us and it comes in Jesus words verse 9 Jesus said to him today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Doesn't it just tick you off when Jesus saves your enemies? Sure made Jonah mad. And shouldn't there be a rule that if someone does something bad enough they shouldn't be allowed to be called a son of Abraham anymore? Couldn't we vote that or something? And isn't it frustrating sometimes that the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost instead of coming to make the lives of the saved easier? Wouldn't that be better? So you see, the story of Zacchaeus is not just a cute little children's story. Instead, it's like Jesus went to visit Washington, D.C., And instead of lunching with one of the most erudite and godly men inside the beltway, Senate Chaplain Barry Black, who, by the way, if everything goes according to plan, will be a guest speaker here next February. We're looking forward to that. But nonetheless... It would be like Jesus went to visit Washington, D.C., and instead of visiting with Senate Chaplain Barry Black in his office in the Capitol, instead, Jesus went down the street and stayed at the White House with a loud-mouthed rich guy who doesn't know the difference between two Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. That's what it's like. That's what Jesus did. Who would you have lunch with? This series is called Tasting and Seeing, and it's all about what happens to people who share a meal with Jesus. I hope, in part, that I have ruined this story for you going forward, (laughs) and that you will no longer just view it as a cute children's story, but instead will see it for the offense it really is. One point the story makes clearly enough. Most of us aren't as merciful as Jesus is. Oh, we're merciful enough to those in desperate need, I suppose, or at least we're merciful in word, if not always in deed. We know we're supposed to be. But are we merciful towards those who oppress us? Are we okay with the thought that Jesus might well love people we don't like? People who did us wrong? People like Zacchaeus, whoever he is for you? Who is Zacchaeus to you? Who is the Zacchaeus in your life? What would happen if you invited yourself over to your Zacchaeus' house and then sat down in fellowship and shared a meal? It's a crazy notion, isn't it? But what if doing so changed Zacchaeus' life forever? Could you do it Are you willing to be the guest of a sinner? Now maybe don't do it this week. Lest anyone you make contact with in the next few days who has heard this message suspect they are Zacchaeus for you, so you may just want (laughs) to let that go a couple weeks. I was a little offended after first when someone came up and invited themselves over to my house. I (laughs) said, no. but maybe by the end of the series you give it a shot sometimes life changes at the table Jesus has shown us in this story how our willingness to fellowship with the Zacchaeuses in our lives can be the key moment when Zacchaeus the greedy cheater becomes Zacchaeus the friend of the poor I know it's a big ask and it might not even work. I'm not guaranteeing anything. So you can just sit and think about it in your tree for a while. Oh, wait, what's this? Is that Jesus under your tree? And what is He saying? That He's coming to your house today? Well then, Zacchaeus, you had better climb down and get going. It looks like Jesus is coming to your house today because most of us or Zacchaeus to somebody. Sometimes life changes at the table. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you have been merciful to us, and we have not deserved it. Help us to be able to show mercy when you show mercy, even to those who've done us wrong. It will take grace for that to happen. I pray you give it to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.